0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Advisory Services, and I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. And this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about how to create a tip jar culture with one of the most in demand people on the topic of professional performance. He's an award winning keynote speaker. And I'm talking about Greg Offner, who is the founder of the Global Performance Institute. And he is right here. Greg, welcome to Behind <laughs> hey the Dave, Numbers. Dave.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: it's a pleasure. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are.
1: Sure. So as Dave mentioned, I am a keynote speaker. I'm a corporate consultant. And I found my way into this profession after 15 years working as a corporate HR consultant and risk manager. By day, by night, I had an interesting job as a professional dueling piano player. Uh, both those careers kind of came to an end in 2015, when I suffered some severe voice damage, doctors thought I would never speak again. But after 15 surgeries and a lengthy recovery process, I decided to take that experience and my business experience and combine the two, being able to put some business knowledge and some performance on stage for the folks who I deliver keynotes for.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And for folks who haven't seen you, I know you've got a pretty uh, cool routine with your keyboard and so forth. So uh, we'll talk about that perhaps. But if you're, uh, if you have an opportunity to see this guy perform or speak, definitely do it. I uh, want to talk about this tip jar culture. Obviously that came from your performance career. So talk about that. What is a tip jar culture?
1: Yeah, well, tip jar culture is what organizations aspire or should aspire, I believe, to have within their organization. And it's really comprised of four parts. I call them movements in keeping with the music theme. So the first part of establishing a performance culture is participation. In the time I spent at the piano bar, what makes a successful night is how much audience participation there is. And that's a give and take. Mm-hmm. The second part of the second movement is appreciation. We've got a tip jar on our piano, and that's how our audience shows appreciation for the work that we do. The tips aren't to, to get the show going, per se. They're to keep the show going, to amp, amp it up. Um, and then the the third part of that, uh, the verb movement, is the collaboration that exists between the audience and the piano players. Really, the whole staff there. So if you think about there are servers and hostesses and bartenders and, and whatnot, all of us are collaborating in that experience. And it, in, in the business world, to carry this analogy over... There are a lot of different people. I mean, just here on the show, there are folks who are doing the video, doing the audio, doing the lighting, doing the makeup. One show can't take place without a whole host of people collaborating in that experience, similarly with an organization. And so the fourth or the final part of this approach, this tip jar culture, is the transformation. The transformation is what we want to see when we take an organization that is just kind of finding its way along or not. Living the culture that they would like it to be living, when they become a tip jar culture, that fourth part is a transformation.
0: Yeah, and underpinning all of it is the idea of a performance agreement.
1: Yes. So the first three movements mm-hmm. are the performance agreement. Okay. The um, participation, the appreciation, and the collaboration. Those three elements or movements have to be present for a performance to be, to be worth an encore. Yeah. When they're present, we begin the transformation into this tip jar culture, into an organization having a tip jar culture.
0: Gotcha. And how does that then manifest itself impacting engagement and retention, for instance?
1: Yeah. So the first component, the first movement, participation, that's all about engagement. And let's, let's use a business example because we've been talking about music for a bit. When, when an employee starts to work for an organization, they are by definition engaged they've gone through an interview process where there's been back and forth there's been so all of these elements are present there's been a participation you've got to participate in the interview just like you know we're doing here if it was just you talking or just me talking it wouldn't be an interview it would be a monologue right. so then the next step is the appreciation Let's let's use the interview example. I get an email from you if I'm trying to work for your company. You say, Greg, we really enjoyed what you had to say. We'd like to bring you back for another conversation. There's the collaboration. We're continuing this performance. And the transformation is when we, we have a job offer, yeah? So that first step, that participation, that's the engagement. When we work with organizations on that step of the performance agreement, that's the engagement. When we get to appreciation, that's retention. Right. Then when we get to collaboration, that's where we're really building this team, this, I call it a choir. We're performing like a choir or like an orchestra, like an ensemble, rather than just as an individual contributor. And that leads us to the transformation, which is the tip jar culture. That's the end state, really, is the tip jar culture.
0: Are you finding that many companies are actually able to pull that off? I mean, it sounds great. How many are really doing it, Craig?
1: Not a lot. Not as many as I'd like. And my definition, so tip jar culture is a relatively new creation. Um, I've been speaking to organizations about the first three components, the performance yeah. agreement, uh, for several years now, but it's taken me till now to realize what that leads to, and that is this tip jar culture. So a focus on growing the people is what allows the organizations I work with to, to get there quickly. Rather than focusing on growing the, you know, the P&L or, or growing the profitability or growing the sales, All of that is achieved by growing the people. And I know that you're a big believer in that just based on the book you've written and the book you have coming out. So the organizations that are more inclined to turn their focus towards the growth of their people and trust that as their people grow, so will the organization, they're the ones who are able to uh, approach and and create that tip jar culture more easily.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned something about appreciation and in the work that I've done on the second book that you alluded to, uh, appreciation is a key component obviously in driving employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can organizations do practically to demonstrate their appreciation for their teams?
1: Yeah, I get asked that a lot and folks say what's well, the cynics in the audience would say, well, tip jar culture, Greg. What are you, what are you saying? You're saying we gotta, we gotta continue to just give our people money like over and over and over again. And, and money's great. People like money. It allows us to do all sorts of things. But no, I think that money is actually a pretty poor example of appreciation because we habituate to money. And if you think about getting a raise, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, however much your raise is, it feels great until that's your salary. And now it's just the salary. Now it wasn't a raise. Now I've habituated to it. I'm used to it. And now I expect more. So money has its place as a reward, as, as incentive. But the organizations who are really getting it right are finding other ways to develop their people. They're finding other things to do for their people. So for example, there's an organization out there called uh, Vayner Group. Vay- uh, Gary Vaynerchuk heads up this, this organization. They have many different divisions and, and products. But he makes it a point to get to know his people And let's say that you're a, you know, a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Out of nowhere, for seemingly no reason, he may just give you Eagles tickets because he knows that's what you like. That's a sign of appreciation. That's a sign of showing that I, I know you, Dave. I know what you like and I know what's important to you. That's not to get you going. That's to keep you going. Yeah. That's what the tip is for to piano bar. And that's what this token of appreciation is for at work. But I think the best thing organizations can do in terms of showing appreciation is developing their people. We've seen surveys that show the three things employees want most are, surprise, surprise, more money, right? Right. Who doesn't? Uh, They want promotion opportunity, and they want development opportunity. Well, we can't give everybody raises, and we can't give everybody new titles. I mean, we can. It gets costly. So that's not a sustainable way to show appreciation. But we can redirect some of the development spend that we have. And globally, organizations spend $300 billion. Since we're behind the numbers, I'm going to get into the numbers. Globally, organizations spend $300 billion on training and development. 98% of that is directed towards job-specific spend. Meaning, if you're a TV anchor, my TV station is spending 98% of its training and development dollars on you to teach you how to be a better anchor. You know, where should I, where should I place my lapel mic? What type of clothes should I wear? How should I sit in my chair? That's great. But if Dave decides he do not wanna be a TV anchor anymore, that's worthless. And we have a lot of folks who aren't necessarily sure the job they're doing or the industry they're in is what they really wanna be doing with their life. So they don't engage very deeply in that training. It's more check the box or, or perfunctory is the yeah. word I like to use. So what if organizations started developing the people who fill the role? So expanding their ability to use and leverage curiosity or creativity in the role that they do about maybe gratitude. Uh, some, some other example, in, examples of what training could be about would be about gratitude, uh, energy management. That's a big one. Yeah. When people show up tired to work, whether they're tired emotionally, physically, or financially, they're not as focused on the work that they're doing. So can we teach people how to better manage their finances, better manage their personal health and energy, better manage their, their emotional state's a loaded word, but let's just say the, the idea of reframing would be something we could teach our people. How to look at a problem and instead of seeing a problem, try to identify a solution. All of these are what we typically call soft skills, and companies really haven't put much money into developing them. But the research shows that that's what people want, because no matter where I work or what I do, I take that development with me. That's valuable to me. All the other stuff is valuable to my employer, and, and maybe it's a little bit better for me as an employee, But the soft skill development is the best way to show appreciation.
0: Yep, 100%. Soft skills, critical skills. Greg, we're bumping up on a commercial here. But before we go to break, tell the audience how they can connect with you, how they can reach out if they want to have you come speak at one of their events. Yeah, so
1: I'm I'm on all the major socials. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I don't really mess around with Facebook that much anymore. But you can go to my website, GregoryOffner.com. You can find me there or Gregory Offner Jr. on any of the major socials. And and you'll see this bald-headed guy pop up.
0: There you go. And on that, we're going to take a quick break. Greg, you sit tight. You watching and listening, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. There's an old expression in business that you can't manage what you can't measure. Business performance and business valuation, it's all measured by the numbers. But I've learned that the real lessons and the tough decisions that are made occur behind the numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. Join me and my guests as we go behind the numbers to understand what really matters most in business. Aloha, Joe Silva here with Kikua
1: Technologies. I'm excited to see you on Tuesdays on Morning Coffee for our tech tips.
0: get a bad rap. I'm Erin Bruschi, host of Legal Breakdown, where we dissect legal topics for the everyday viewer. With a mix of interesting guests to talk about current events and hot legal topics, let's work together to make the law accessible and relevant to everyone. Catch us every week on RVN Television. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. We're having too much fun here today with Greg Offner, who's the founder of the Global Performance Institute. We're talking about how to create a tip jar culture. Uh, Greg, at the end of this second segment, you talk about certain check-the-box things that that employees do in their day-to-day. And I want to dovetail that into a a term that's now gotten a lot of traction and popularity that's quiet quitting. And I've seen and read – couple different angles on it. One says quiet quitting is really nothing more than people just doing what's expected of them and nothing more, no discretionary effort. They're doing their jobs. And other folks like yourself who wrote a recent post that I thought was fascinating says that quiet quitting is really more or less half-assing it. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. So that is an interesting angle we could talk about. But I think the important conversation to have regarding quiet quitting is the failure of leadership that allows it to happen. So quiet quitting – isn't only doing what you're paid for. That's doing your job. The way that quiet quitting is being used right now popularly is to talk about people doing less than what's expected because of whatever reason. They don't like the way they're being treated. They don't think the job matters. They they don't think they matter within the job. Whatever their reasoning, the popular idea about quiet quitting is that it has to do with people doing less than what's expected of them and just sort of what we might imagine is hiding out in a a cubicle somewhere, not getting seen, but still getting the paycheck. Whether that's true or not is really not, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in how is it even possible? How is it possible for someone to quiet quit? What that says to me is that the the management has no idea what's expected of this person Mm -hmm. or there aren't clear guidelines set out for what success is in that person's job. Because if I can show up, not do what's expected of me, And keep showing up and keep getting paid and keep doing what's not expected of me. That says less about me and more about leadership. And I think this is a problem that's been allowed to go on for a long time. That problem being leaders and by by extension the company don't clearly define or even know what they really want employees to do. And we see this manifest in the employment agreement, that little line uh, or in a job description where it says, and other duties as may be uh, 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 delegated by management. To me, that's as silly as going into a restaurant, ordering an eight ounce filet, finishing the filet, calling the server over and saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm still a bit peckish. I'm still a little hungry. Do do you think you could rustle up maybe two more ounces of steak for me? Now, any server who's worth their salt is going to say, Dave, you know, we'd love to, but we don't sell steak in two ounce portions. We sell it six ounces. We could get you six ounce. And you say to the server, no, 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 I I don't want to pay for these extra two ounces. I just want you to bring them to me. Every server, every restaurant would laugh you out of the dining room, but yet we allow this to occur in businesses? If you want extra, you should pay for extra. That's what discretionary incentive is all about. If you want that initiative that we're now alleging people aren't giving anymore and calling it quiet quitting, you need to compensate for it. Now, like we talked about before the break, does that compensation have to be money? Not necessarily, but there needs to be discretionary incentive, and I think it's ludicrous that organizations don't get that.
0: Yeah. And I would agree with you on everything you just said, except I would add one little addendum. I think that discretionary effort certainly can be, quote, bought you know, in additional compensation. Nothing wrong there. But I also think that discretionary effort can be inspired. If you're working for somebody that you would walk through fire for, because I know I've had some of those leaders in my career, and I would go above and beyond, even though I wasn't going to earn an extra nickel, just because I wanted to do my best for this individual.
1: But isn't that an incentive?
0: Yeah, it's an internally driven thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's created by good leadership.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it doesn't have to be financial. It can, I mean, we, you hear this all the time. People don't quit their jobs. They quit right. their bosses. A great boss, a great leader is able to inspire. And in many ways, that is incentive. That is yeah. a discretionary incentive. So we're, I think we're, we're in perfect the alignment. Thing. Yeah.
0: Good job. All right, fist pump on that one, brother. Thank you. <laughs> um, disengagement happens Over time, as different events start to accumulate and and employees start to feel a certain way, but at some point, there's an inflection point, right? The straw that breaks that camel's back. Is there, in fact, a moment where someone actually disengages?
1: Yeah, I I disagree. I I mean, think about if we, instead of saying disengagement, let's say divorce, right? You and I are both married. Divorce happens over time. No, Okay. we sign a paper and then we're divorced. That's it. Disengagement is a momentary, it's a logical decision. Are there factors that build up? Absolutely. And we can we can talk about those. But disengagement is a moment where a person decides this job or this leader can't or won't give me what I want from this experience. And organizations spend millions of dollars and thousands of hours trying to increase engagement, but they don't address the real problem of that moment of disengagement. Another way to think about this would be, let's say that your home is all of a sudden flooded with sewage because the the, the water main or the sewage the, the sewer broke, yeah? And all of a sudden your basement is flooding and getting filled with sewage. Would you want a larger basement or would you want to stop the flow of sewage into your house? Organizations are spending millions of dollars and thousands of hours trying to build a bigger basement that is trying to create more engagement, but they haven't stopped the flood of sewage. They haven't stopped... The things that cause that moment of disengagement, that's, that's the real problem. It's an yeah. expensive problem, too.
0: That is fascinating. Uh, Greg, uh, tell folks how they can reach out to you if they want to have you come speak or if they want to work with you. What's yeah, the best way if, to get if you, learn,
1: you? if you want to learn more about this, visit my website. Send me an email. Uh, send a carrier pigeon to South Philadelphia. It will nah. find me. Um, but seriously, my email and my phone number are all on my website. And if you have a, if you want to have a conversation, if you have thoughts about this, I would love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. I want to get into some actionable things that managers, companies can do to improve their performance at work. So as you just talked there in that sewage analogy, what can we do? So as a manager,
1: to improve my performance as a manager, do you mean, or to improve the performance of the people that I, that I lead?
0: Well, you know what? Let's attack it from both sides, because it, you have to internalize it first as a manager, right, to become aware yeah. that you need to do more.
1: So one would be to take, sort of take your own medicine and develop your own soft skills, Spend some time developing non-technical skills, like reading a book on how to manage my profit and loss or you know how to do whatever as a manager is is great, but what if you develop your ability to be more curious? That's a curious question. What if, right? So create that within yourself. Take your own medicine. Um, To help your people, there's a process that I I developed, I guess, called the triad. Um, And triad is is a three-note sequence that we play on a piano, so all these processes tend to be musically named, Um, it's a way to stop yourself from creating that moment of disengagement. So when we go to have a conversation with an employee, the, the number one cause of disengagement is making your problem my problem. So if you're the boss, I'm the subordinate, don't make your problem my problem. Your job is actually to help me solve my problems. That is your problem. And if you don't want to do that you tell me to do that, Well, why am I working for you? You should be working for me. If I can go solve the problem, what do I need you for? When we, when organizations make an organizational problem, an individual problem, like, hey, we're sorry we can't, this is maybe a tough example, a controversial example, like, sorry we can't give out raises this year, it's been a tough quarter. That's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Show me that we're partnering in this and saying, hey, all of our executives have foregone any raises and any bonuses so that we can keep the organization going. That's why we can't give raises. Now that's our problem. Now you're sharing in the pain. But too often what happens is businesses reward and and almost coddle those at the top, and they sort of penalize those at the bottom who don't have a voice. So what do we do about that? How do we stop that moment of disengagement? How do we ask ourselves, am I making my problem their problem? Well, one is look at the process of whatever's taking place and say, is there something I can do in this process, in this moment, to make it more efficient? Because people hate friction. I mean, that's why Uber initially took off because of the friction associated with calling a cab and waiting 45 minutes and then the cab not showing up and wondering where the cab was and calling again and being told to be another 45 minutes. Oh my gosh, that was so full of friction. So Uber emerged. Yeah. Is there friction in this process that doesn't need to exist? Can I eliminate it? That's why I've got, you know, to use a military analogy, that's why I've got the rank so that I can change this process. Next is look in the mirror and say, have I done all that I can do, all that I can do, not all that I feel I should do, not all that I'd like to do, all that I can do to help solve this problem for my person? And then the third step is partnership. If I've looked at the process and I can't make it any simpler, and I've looked in the mirror and I, I can't do any more alone, then it's time to take that other person and partner with them and say, here are the facts. Here's what I'm working with. Here's what we need to accomplish. How do you see it? How can bring that person in? To the best of my knowledge, everyone that works at at professional organizations is an adult, and we'd like to be treated like adults, even though you may have a VP title and this person may have no title. You're both adults. Let's act like it. Let's solve these problems together. That's what a company is. A company is a group of people that have decided they'd like to solve a problem together. So they come together to work. Let's, Let's act like it. Let's, let's get rid. I don't want to say get rid of the hierarchy, but let's get rid of some of the BS associated with the hierarchy and create a place where people want to come back to. I call them encore experiences. Yeah. And we want to create encore performers, people that we want to see come back again and again to places yep. they want to be again and
0: again. I wish I had more time to talk to you, Greg. Uh, this is fascinating stuff. We've got about 90 seconds, but I do want to sneak in one last one. Sure. Uh, everybody talks about the idea of being fulfilled at work. Is that a realistic outcome?
1: It can be. We have to make a decision. If you don't love your 9 to 5, you need to find something to do with your 5 to 9 a.m., you know, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. that does fulfill you. I talk about three types of people that work in an organization. One of those types of people just wants to show up at 9, leave at 5, and do the absolute best they can while they're there, but they don't want any more. And they really don't want to, to commit really deeply to this job. They just, they, they like the job. The job fulfills a need. We need those people to keep organizations running. But I, I believe fulfillment can be found through work doesn't have to be, but it can be.
0: Okay. Greg, unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us today I'm Behind the Numbers. I hope you might consider coming back again.
1: Absolutely. It's been awesome. a pleasure.
0: We've been talking about how to build a tip jar culture with a, an award-winning keynote speaker here, my friend Greg Offner. And, again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm out there on socials. Please feel free to reach out. always happy to have a conversation. And thank you again for watching and listening. We can't do the program without you. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching, and you'll be able to stay in touch with all that we're up to. And uh, that's it for today, gang. That's all we have time for. We will see you again next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.